Good morning. Need to get up here for just a minute, and we'll be ready to go. Did everybody have a good Christmas? The good thing about Christmas for us, is who know Jesus, is that it never ends. We get to worship Him each and every day. Today, uh, well, let me introduce myself. My name is Carl. Uh, my family and I have been in Beijing for about four years now, and uh, in our four years here, we have come to enjoy Beijing, enjoy the life that God has given us here, and, uh, and so as we get started, if I could pray for us, I'd appreciate it. Father, thank you for your goodness. I thank you for this opportunity to be here. I thank you for uh, each and every person that's here. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his birth. We thank you that... Uh, For those of us who know him, that has radically marked who we are as a people, and that it has changed our lives, so that each and every day that we live, we do that for him. We pray that today, that you would go before us, that your spirit would teach us from your word, that we would leave here refreshed, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I was able to speak here about a month ago, and one of the things that God has taught me over my 32 years of being a Christian is that the Christian life can be boiled down to two objects. A chair, which we have here. And so we'll be looking at the chair today. And the other one is something that we use quite frequently, is a toilet paper roll. And so today, we're going to talk about the toilet paper roll. But before we do, I want to review just a little bit so we have a clearer picture of why the toilet paper roll is significant. And my hope is that by the end of our day today, you'll understand three things. One is the motivation for why we serve God. The second is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And the third thing is what it means to spiritually breathe. And I'm glad the children are here because the last third of our time is going to be something that you can practice with your parents at home. Uh, And if your family is anything like ours, Sunday morning is the time where we need that most. Right? We're trying to get out the door. Our kids have their own agenda. We have our own agenda, and at that time, many of us are where? We're on the chair, meaning that we are not, or that God is not in control, but we're in control. And so if you're like us, what happens is it begins to look more and more chaotic. And so today we're going to talk about how do we get off the chair? That is at the heart of what we're going to be talking about. And just by way of review, the chair represents the control center of our life. And so we looked at Genesis and we said that when God created the world, he took a formless world and he gave it form. He took an empty world and he filled it. He turned a chaotic world and he made it ordered. Okay? And then he made us in his image. And as a result, we're supposed to do the same thing. We're supposed to take an empty world and begin to fill it. We're to take a formless world and give it form and to take a chaotic world and to bring order. And so Sunday mornings in our home is where we are supposed to take what? a chaotic world, and give it form, or give it order. And that plays itself out almost every Sunday morning. This Sunday morning was no exception. And so as I speak, I am speaking to myself as much as I am speaking to each one of us here. And so for us to get started, I'd like us to turn to the book of Ephesians, and that's where we'll be spending our time. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, if you would. And so we're going to take a little journey 
to get to the toilet paper roll. And on that journey, we're going to have a few stops. And so the first stop that we're going to have on this journey is our motivation. If you look at the book of Ephesians, there's six chapters. The first three chapters establish the motivation. You need to know these things. If you know these things, you're going to be motivated then to do the, the next three chapters, which are four through six. So I want us just to camp out on five words in chapter one to get a taste of who God is and what he's done in our lives. This is addressing Christians more than it is the non-Christian. And so follow with me in verse three. It says, blessed is the God, our father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So what we're going to see are these five words begin to represent what those spiritual blessings or benefits are. And so the first one, it says that God chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. Now we have to think about that for a minute, that out of all the people that have ever been created, that God simply said, I am going to choose you and you and you. And some people think, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, how about those people that God doesn't choose? That's not fair. But wait a minute, we need to think. It says that God chose them before the foundation of the world. Well, before the foundation of the world, God already knew what was going to happen. The fall, right? That man would take up his place on the chair in the garden. And that he would kick God off the chair, and that man would then spend the rest of his days on the chair. And so God said, you know what? Even in that rebellious state, I choose you to be something special to me. And he says that, he goes on to say that that choice, he says, I've chosen you to be holy and blameless. But he did that knowing that we would be in rebellion against him. And so that's the first word, that he chose us. And so we want to be thinking, and when you hear these five words, and this, this is what, how God looks at us, how does that make you feel? How do you feel knowing that in your rebellion, in your condemned state, God chose you? And the second word uh, is the idea of he predestined us to adoption. And for when Robin talked about adoption, Adoption is something that is very dear to my heart. I've been adopted three times. My first time that I was adopted, I was adopted from a German family, or actually out of a German orphanage. I was three years old. I came to America. Uh, My sister was also adopted from America. And I can just remember thinking, wow, how thankful I was that I now had a family. And I've always grown up thinking that is the greatest thing, that my family chose me to be a part of them. And so that was the first time I was adopted. Then the second time I was adopted is what it's talking about in here, that I was adopted into God's family when I became a Christian 33 or 32 years ago. And that when I, when that, uh, it's happened on December 31st at 10 p.m. Uh, in 1982, I can remember the exact time, that everything changed. I knew I was a new person. I knew I had a new relationship with God. I knew I had a new way of looking at the world. I had a new family membership. I was adopted. And then the third time I was adopted was when my mother died. My father died when I was seven. My mom died when I was 31, I think. And I was alone. My sister, I have a sister. I haven't seen my sister in over 20 years. We're estranged. She has no desire to have a relationship with me. Um, But in that, I thought, oh my gosh, I don't have a family. There's nobody. It's me. 
And I got a call from a, a man that I had worked with when I was in the military. He's in the U.S. Navy as a Navy dentist. And uh, he called and he said, well, my wife and I have been talking. And we want to adopt you into our family. And I thought, is this a, is this a joke? And he goes, no, no, we're, we're for real. We want to come, and that means we're going to spend... I said, well, okay, what does that mean that you're, I'm going to adopt you? I'm 31 years old. And they go, well, you know, we want you to be a part of our holidays. We want to be a part of your holidays. We want to... We've included you in our will. And I thought, wow, I think there's some serious... There's some serious transactions that have taken place here. And so they have been here to China twice uh, during our time here. Uh, we have been with them once. And so... The idea of adoption is something that I just think, wow, I am so thankful. I'm thankful to my, my, my parents who adopted me when I was young. I'm thankful to God who has adopted me to his family. And I'm thankful to this family, the Schatz family, who has adopted me into their family. So the first thing that God did is he chose us. The second thing is he adopted us. And if you, fin- if you go on in the first, and then the next verse is uh, ch- in verse 7, it says, that he redeemed us, okay? And when it says he redeemed us, that means he bought us. He bought us out of our slavery to sin. He bought us off of death row. Remember, because we're condemned because of our sin. And he bought us off of death row. But when he bought us, he adopted us because he had chosen us. And so how does that make you feel? That you were on death row, you were going to be receiving what you deserved, what I deserved, which is eternal separation and punishment from God. But he said, you know what? I am choosing you. I'm adopting you. I'm paying the price. And how did he pay the price? His son died that we might have life. Jesus died on the cross so that we could have our sins forgiven and paid for. And some people say, well, you know, that I don't know about that. You know, I think if you just do enough good things, right? good if these are all the good things right here right and this is the bad things i've done what happens the good far outweighs the bad right and so that's that's enough i should be able to go to heaven but what's the problem with that this still exists doesn't it and so the sin has to be taken away and that's what jesus did on the cross is he took our sin away he paid for it we've been redeemed and I think, wow. I mean, you just have, we have to think. We're doing, I think it's really hard for us to imagine that if you were a slave and in a market and somebody said, I want you and I'm going to pay for you to be set free and you're going to be my son. I mean, I can't even begin to fathom that. But that's the third thing. And then the fourth thing it says, because you could have all that happen and the person could still be really uh, angry with you, right? It says that he forgave us. That's the fourth word that I want us to see. In verse 7, he said he forgave our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And so in all of that taking place, that in our rebellion, in our being on the chair, God says, I forgive you. We're forgiven. That is an amazing thing. In our rebellion, because none of us were even here, right? This was before the foundation of the world. God had already chosen us, had decided to adopt us, had redeemed us, and had forgiven us. Before we even got here. And so there is no way that how, how we live our life today can have any effect on that. It's an eternal relationship that God is offering. And that's brought out in our fifth word in verse 13, sealed. That God sealed us with the Holy Spirit, it says. And that is, the, the idea of sealing there 
is that it is a, it's a down payment for something that is going to happen. It's like when I gave my wife a ring and I said, man, will you marry me? I mean, I already knew I was going to marry her. If she said yes, it was a done deal. The ring was simply a sign of what was going to take place in the future. In the future. And the sealing of the Holy Spirit is the same thing. It's a sign. It's a guarantee of what's going to happen. So as you hear those five things, and as you think about them, what do you feel? What's the emotion that comes up? Or what do you feel? Anybody can say it. This is a small crowd, so let's just... What do you feel? Thankful. Very natural, right? That there's a sense of thanksgiving. That, oh my gosh, to realize who I am. Really, I, I, one thing my seven children have taught me is I love to be here. I just do. Because they want to be there too. And so they're on a chair, I'm on a chair, and what do you think happens when both of us are on chairs? Trouble, right? Chaos. And so what they have taught me, though, is that if I can learn to get off the chair and model that for them and help them to see all of this, what God has done, that my motivation for life then becomes one out of thanksgiving. And so that is what God wants us to do. He wants to see that based on all that he's done for us, that we can be thankful. Which then takes us to chapter 4. And so we, now we've seen that the motivation for our service is simply thanksgiving for all he's done. And then chapters 4 through 6 is based on who I am and based on what I've done for you, this is what I want you to do. Well, now we serve why? Because we have to? No, because we want to, because we're thankful. And so then you're going to see that there's a series of therefores and how to walk. And so notice the pattern here. So there's therefore in verse, chapter 4, verse 1, therefore... Walk in, a man, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And then in verse 5, therefore, walk in love. Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Chapter 7, or I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 7. Therefore, walk in light. And then the final one that we're going to, where we're actually going to look at is, therefore, walk not as unwise, but as wise. So based on our right motivation, because God loves us and we're thankful, we now want to walk in a worthy manner. We want to walk in love, we want to walk in light, and we want to walk in wisdom. So turn with me to uh, verse 15. It says, therefore, be careful how you walk, this is in chapter 5, not as unwise men, but as wise. And so the issue then is, what is wisdom? And wisdom is simply living life from God's perspective. Living life from God's perspective. And so it says, walk as wise men, not as unwise making the most of our time because the days are evil. And so we only have a limited amount of time. The days are evil. We know that Satan, from our time in Genesis, is wanting to uh, push back on what God is doing. But it says, no, we need to live life from God's perspective. God's perspective is that he, represented by the Bible, is on the throne. We are not. If we are not on the throne and he is, then life actually works. That's the way we're designed. When we choose to get off kick him off the throne like Adam and Eve did, and get on the throne, life doesn't work. Right? That's when we begin to see more and more chaos in our home. That's where we see more and more chaos in our marriages, in our work, or in our societies. But instead, God said, no, walk in wisdom. I need to be on the throne. And then it says, uh, it says, then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And in other words, 
We need to understand who God is, understand who his word is, and begin to order our lives in light of who he is and what he's doing. And then it goes on to say, uh, and do not get drunk with wine for this is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. So it gives us an illustration. It says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. And so the first thing we want to think about is when a person is getting drunk, there's three things we're going to look at. There's the, the agent, right? The person who's getting drunk, which is the person who's drinking, Right? And then there's the content of the filling, which is the alcohol. And then there's the results, which it says in verse 18 is dissipation. And so what's dissipation? We never use that word. Dissipation is simply uh, a wasted life. A person that has, who's standing on the chair represents this, right? So they are on the chair... They are not filled with the Spirit, but instead they're, they have decided that they are going to be in control of their lives, and then as a result, their life is a wasted life. But God says, now there's a contrast, and the contrast is this, that you be filled with the Spirit. And in this case, the agent of the filling is the Spirit, because the verb there, to be filled, is a passive one, meaning that the, that the people are receiving the action. It's not something we can do, it's not something we can manifest, but instead... The filling is something that God does on our behalf. So it says, but be filled with the Spirit. And so we said that the agent of the filling is the Holy Spirit. The content of the filling is the Word of God. And Colossians says that in the book that we read for our reading, it says that, let me read it to you. It says, let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom. That the, the Word of Christ is the, the, the content of that filling. And that as we know God, as we know his word, that we can then begin to think like he does, and we can begin to walk in wisdom, live life from his perspective. And then it says, finally, that there's a result. And the result, then, we see is in four things. We'll have right speech, right heart, right perspective, and right actions. And you can see that in the verses, though. It says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns. That's right speech. Uh, Making melody in our hearts, that's a right heart. And giving thanks in all things, that's a right perspective. And then finally, subjecting to one another. And that is um, having right relationships. And so that can be, uh, as, a, as a dentist, as when somebody comes to the office, I want to say, okay, well, how do I know if you're healthy? Well, I look for certain things. How do you know if you're spirit-filled? Well, these things should be evidence in our lives. Are you seeing right speech with other people? Are you... Are you, is your heart attitude toward things right? Are you having a critical attitude? Are your, um, is your perspective, when difficulties come, what is your perspective? Are you receiving those as a gift from God, or are you complaining about those? And then right relationships. Are you in right relationships with other people? If those things are going on, then you can know that you're filled with the Spirit. But the issue becomes, for most of us, is that we get on the chair, and then the question is, how do we get off? This is not the Spirit-filled life. But this is the, the life that's centered on us. Now the question is, how do you get off? And that's where the toilet paper roll comes in. And so if you think of the toilet paper roll as our communication between us and God, right? When we're down here and God is on the throne here, it's open. Life is good. We communicate with God through his word, right? We can hear from him through his word. We communicate to him through prayer. Life is good. It works. 
doesn't mean life is going to be happy and wonderful, but it means that the things that God wants to have happen in our lives are going to happen. We're going to be conformed more and more into the image of Christ, and the, and the fruit of the Spirit will be made manifest in our lives. But then what happens is Sunday morning comes, right? And we need to get out the door. The kids, you told, I told this, Jay, I need you to get dressed. I need you to get breakfast. Did you brush your teeth? Then you go and you need to do something. You come back five minutes later. They're playing with their Legos over in the corner. The breakfast is still not eaten. And now the time's going because the bus is going to come. And so then what happens is, as my daughter says, I project. And I'm on the throne. And I say, hey, I told you, get those Legos cleaned up. I told you, get your breakfast. Stop this. And they're like, whoa, Dad, what's going on? And what happened is, I've gotten on the throne. I've kicked God off. Sin now is where? Is blocking the communication. Am I still a child of God? Yes, that hasn't changed. But the relationship and how I relate to God and how I relate to others has changed. I no longer have right speech. I'm now yelling at my children, right? Oh, come on. You've never yelled at your children? (laughs) All right, I'll speak to myself. So then I'm on the chair, but the question is, okay, and then I realize, oh, my gosh, I'm watching my child now cry, right? So how do I get off the chair? Well, I need to confess my sin. I need to agree with God that when I yelled at my child, that was wrong. So confession is agreeing with God that what I did was wrong, and we are going to learn now how to spiritually breathe. When you normally breathe, right, you inhale, what do you do? You take in the good, right? And when you exhale, you get rid of the bad, okay? And so when I confess with God, I'm agreeing with God, what I've done is wrong, please forgive me, I get off the throne, Jesus is back on the throne, and I go to my child, right? And I say, hey, when I did that, that was wrong. Please forgive me. That's demonstrating the spirit-filled life. But it has to, to get off the throne, I have to allow God to be back on the throne. Then the communication is wide open again, right? And so it's interesting, if you look at the book of Ephesians, what follows the filling of the spirit, it's going to look at three sets of relationships, it's going to look at the husband wife. It's going to look at the father, it's going to look at ch- parents and children, work, and actually a fourth one, spiritual forces of darkness. Those are the four that are going to come out of that. And so when we think about marriage, uh, my wife and I went to a family life conference, and we had been married, I don't know, just three months. So we were, we were not the youngest couple. They always ask, you know, who's the youngest couple? Well, we were not the newest, newest married couple. But uh, one of the things they want you to do is have a date night. And I, man, we had been traveling, we had just gotten back, we were going to this conference, and so they're building up. This is building, building, my wife's getting excited, we're going to have a really fun date night. So the time comes, uh, we're driving home, we are, it was a, the place was actually in our city where we live, so we drove back to our apartment, and on the way she goes, well, what are you going, what are we going to do? I thought, man, you know, I'm just really tired. I said, we're just going to go home, I'm going to make you waffles. I was here. And she let me know I was here. She was very quiet. Because she wasn't here. She was like this. She knew not to say anything and let the Spirit of God just torment me. So I was here. Right? Sin, I had not led. I had not prepared. I had been busted. She knew it. So I was here. 
So we drove for 45 minutes in silence. You've been there, right? If you're married, just silence. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is torture. Uh, what, what am I supposed to do? And then we get into our, we pull into our apartment. I mean, there's nothing to redeem. I have nothing to say. I've just blown it. And so we're sitting there for 10 minutes in our car. The apartment's right there. It's like, ah, oh, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? I say, I'm sorry, honey. Want to go make waffles? So we go in the apartment. My wife, very gracious, we sit down. I make the waffles. I apologize. I'm sorry. I did not lead well. I did not prepare. Please forgive me. And she did. And at that moment that she forgave me, I experienced Jesus in a way that I had never, ever experienced him before. I understood the depth of my depravity. I understood the grace that my wife showed toward me. Why? Because she understood the spirit-filled life. She understood what it meant to be humble. Unfortunately, her husband had to learn the processes going along. So that's one example. That's the issue of marriage, right? For many of us, we get home from work, right? And we're like, oh, I'm so tired. And kids are needing help. Mom really needs help, especially if you, in our home. She's got seven kids. She's been with them all day. If I come in and say, hey, hon, I'm home. I'll be upstairs. I'm going to relax for a few minutes on the computer. Guess what? We're right back here again, right? I'm not leading. My wife has been with these kids all day long. They're great kids. I love you guys. They're here, so. <laughs> so I, don't, I do not have terrible kids, but my kids like the chair as much as I do, okay? So that's just reality. And so I say, hey, I'm going to go up and relax on the computer. What do you think my wife's thinking? Sometimes she'll say, oh, no, you're not. You need to do this. And she'll, she'll get upset with me. And maybe she'll be on the chair. So she's on the chair. I'm on the chair. What do we need to do? We need to spiritually breathe. We need to agree. Hey, gosh, I'm sorry, honey. When I get home, I know you're tired. So please, I'm going to take all the kids out. And we're going to go do something. Please forgive me for not being more sensitive to you. Right? At the same time, if my wife has been on the chair, she'll apologize. She'll get her time alone. I'll take all the kids out. We're in a spirit-filled home. We've taken a chaotic situation and we brought order to it. Okay? Now, with our kids, we, uh, we have the pleasure of homeschooling our kids. I do some. My wife does most of it. And some days, my wife's not feeling well, and so I get to be the teacher. And so I tell my children, today, I'm going to be your teacher and they're all like, no! No, 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 really. Mom, mom. Anything but not dad as my teacher. And I'm like, hey, hey, what do you mean you don't want me as your teacher? Well, dad, you're not the most patient person in the world. What? Okay, I've had it. Start now. You get that done. You get this done. Computer up there. I want your math done in the next 10 minutes. Right? Here we go. We're right back to where we started. Dad's on the throne. This is why the kids don't like it. That's like, I got a kid crying over here. Got this one hiding in their room under the covers. It's like, okay, wait a minute. All right, so I got to deal with this issue now. So, child that's crying, please forgive your dad. Uh, you're still going to have to do your work, but I wasn't being sensitive to your needs. Please forgive me. Sin is removed. I have fellowship with God. My relationship with my child, though damaged, is restored. I have to be careful there, right? And life goes on. Now, this happens at work too, right? Because that's the next one that talks about in chapter 6 with your children. The next one is the issue of work. And so in our work it says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters. 
Some of you in here are masters. Some of you in here are slaves. I happen to be a slave. Okay? But it doesn't really matter because both require humility. So when I go to work and I say, oh, my boss is there. I'm going to work really hard, right? (laughs) That's this. Right? Because in my heart, I'm like, I don't want to work. But my boss is here, so I better work. And so my boss sees me, ah, I'm done, I'm working really hard, I'm really hard. He leaves, whoo, whoa. <laughs> and I, I don't get off the chair, actually. I just say, oh, now what's the sports score? I know this, today's the games, right? So I'm going to check all the sports scores. And I'll say, oh, oh, the boss is back, get the other window up. Well, that's sin. And so I need to, again, confess the sin, get rid of the sin. I have a right relationship with God. I ask my boss, what can I do for you to serve you to make you successful? Not what can I do for me? But what can I do for you to make you successful? That's the issue. And when that happens, the company will thrive. We'll go from a chaotic work environment to one where there's greater order. Okay? And that is what life is all about. It is simply, I, I'm telling you, my understanding of life is pretty simple. It boils down to this chair. Who gets to be on the chair? Does God get to be on the chair and have this rightful place? Remember all that he's done for us, right? Chosen us. He predestined us to adoption. He redeemed us. He forgave us. He sealed us. What kind of a fool would I be not to allow God to be on that chair? That makes no sense at all. Who am I? You get sick and you realize how frail you really are, how frail I really am. But the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is the one who deserves and should be on this chair. And when he is on the chair in our home, our home life is radically different than when I am. When I'm on the chair, my wife's on the chair, the kids are on the chair. That was last night. I didn't want to be in that home. My kids didn't want to be in that home. But guess what? We're all stuck. All right? So I go upstairs because I've got to get ready for today. (laughs) Get out of that nonsense. But no, I can't. Why? Because I got this going on and I got the spirit convicting me. You're the leader of this home, this chaos you own. You need to deal with that situation. So I go back down. It was supposed to be movie night, right? Well, we had watched an hour, and I thought, ah, I'm done with this. Let everybody just go to bed. Well, they didn't want to go to bed. The older kids wanted to stay up and watch a, a, a movie. And I thought, oh, we're done. And so I said, you're going to go to bed now. Ah, and you're going to do this. And then one kid's get really frustrated because he finally gets to watch a movie with his older siblings. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. You know, mom's going to be the good cop. I'll be the bad cop. I'm going to bed. You do whatever you want. Nice godly leadership, right? No, it's terrible. So then I'm upstairs. I'm trying to think, oh, oh gosh, here's a good illustration, though. Right? You've got to get downstairs. You've got to apologize to your kids. So I apologize before God. I said, God, I was wrong. I didn't lead well. Go down to my family. Say, okay, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Enjoy your movie night. I'm not going to be with you. But please forgive my attitude. Jesus is back on the throne. I can go back upstairs. I can have peace in my heart. My kids can begin to have enjoy what they were going to enjoy with my wife. But that's how life works. It goes on and off. And so the whole, I love the concept of spiritual breathing. Because what do we do when we breathe? We do it all the time. How many times have you been breathing since we've been here? And I know you're just like me. I know you are. I know you struggle in life. And if you've got small kids, I know that they test you every day. I know they do. Because I'm in your, I live there. 
Okay, if you're at work and you've got a bad boss, I have great bosses, by the way. Just want you all to know that. But if you have a bad boss, my heart goes out to you. I have really good ones. Okay? Or if you are a boss and you're just really a booger, you're a bad boss, you're just always looking down on people, you're this, man. And you need to stop because you are actually going to undermine your business or the work that you do in an embassy. That's not how we treat people. Jesus came as a what? As a servant. And we're to serve. So you need to confess that. Agree with God what you've been doing is wrong. Confess to those that you work with, hey, I'm sorry, my attitude has really been looking down at you. I need to stop that. Please forgive me. Humble ourselves. And when we do, we'll see God arrive in in amazing ways. So, in summary, my 32 years as a Christian has taught me that the right motivation for service of God is found in Ephesians 1. It's for all the amazing things that he's done for me and for you. The second thing I've learned that being spirit-filled is the key to success in life. And that the heart of being spirit-filled is having a right motivation and living by faith. And finally, I live as a real person in the real world, and I still struggle with sin. And as a result... I need to learn to spiritually breathe each and every day, each and every moment. And when I do this successfully, our family is not perfect, but we're at least moving in the right direction towards greater and greater godliness with greater and greater impact. And so that's my my desire for you to be able to enjoy those same things. And let me pray for us, and then we'll do the next thing. Father, thank you for your goodness. And I do. I thank you that you, in your great wisdom, chose us. That you chose us to be sons, adopted us. And in that adoption, that you have allowed us to be forgiven, to be restored, you pay that ultimate penalty for our sin. And Father, that you have given us your spirit to live in us, to empower us to live the way that you want us to live. Father, we are a long way from there, each one of us. And we thank you for your commitment to us that you are not going to give up. Thank you that that relationship will never change. We pray that you would help us to spiritually breathe each and every day and each and every moment, and that we would confess our sins before you, we'd be cleansed of all unrighteousness, and that we would be filled with your spirit and enjoy the, the fruit of that. We praise you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen. One last thing, I do have extra rolls. I'm happy to give those to you. For those of you who have kids, I don't care what age they are, I want you to go home, and I want you to talk to them about spiritual breathing and about your home life, okay? And if you need to do things like I did last night, then deal with your issues and use the toilet paper roll as an illustration. Thank you.